Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It's Thursday, November 15, 2007, the season of gratitude, a time to be thankful for all that we have, our divine selves, our loving families, our passionate jobs, our warm homes. Be thankful for all that you are and all that you have. Tonight, I'm thankful for my honored guest, author of 36 books, translated into 28 languages, Betty Young. Hello, Betty. How are you? Hi. Thank you. I'm fine. Great. It's a pleasure to have you on tonight. So we're here to introduce you as the former Teacher of the Year, University Professor of Educational Administration Management, Graduate Division. You're a frequent guest on television and radio talk shows, including The Today Show, NBC Nightly News, CNN, Oprah, Good Morning America, and The View. Also published in several publications, Time Magazine, U.S. News and World Report, USA Today, The Washington Post, Redbook, and several other publications. Betty is the recipient of numerous publishing awards, including having an imprint bearing her name with Hampton Roads Publishers. Betty enjoys speaking to audiences around the world. So tell us, Betty, your most latest release, The House That Love Built. What a phenomenal, phenomenal story. It is, isn't it? Um, It's amazing. It is amazing. It sounds like you've had a chance to read it. Um, The subtitle is The Story of Millard and Linda Fuller, Founders of Habitat for Humanity and the Fuller Center for Housing. So this is basically the 40 to 45-year historical journey of Millard and Linda Fuller. And I start the book when Millard is just a six-year-old because that's where his real indelible ideas about uh, what it's like to grow up poor and his idea that, oh, at some point, I just, then very soon, I want to be very rich. And so he sets out on this mission as a young man to get a great education and simply to get rich. And, you know, of course, with that goal, he draws that into himself. And by 29, he's a multimillionaire. And in that process, you know, he has married and he has two young children. And so he has a family, uh, but is married to his work. I mean, literally, he was, you know, the largest publisher of cookbooks around the world. And so he has running three shifts, you know, in his office, I mean, a shift comes and goes, another shift comes, another shift goes, and another shift comes. So the price he pays for this working night and day is, of course, an estrangement from his family. And when that happens, his wife literally says, look, I'm not going to live this way. You don't know your children. You know, you're a stranger in your own house. This isn't the, this isn't the good life. We have everything money can buy, but we are just, you know, spiritually bankrupt. We We just don't know one another. And so she takes off and goes to counseling in New York just to get away and figure out what on earth she should do. And what is then the story kind of takes off from there because it is from that crisis in his marriage that he, you know, gets at what is important in life and it's his family and his children. And so he um, just, just, you know, goes to get her and says, let's begin again. Let's give all of this wealth away. This wealth hasn't made us happy. We're comfortable. We have everything money can buy. But we don't have what we started off to have, which was to be just in love and to to be in love with one another. 
And so they literally give this entire, every penny of their wealth away and then just kind of throw up their hands to God and say, here I am, God, send me. And what is it you want us to do? And so, you know, it is from that, that crisis that when they hear what God wants them to do, uh, which is basically, you know, God is saying the, the staff is in your hand, which is, you know, whatever it is that brings you excitement in life, that is what you should be doing. And so from that, Habitat for Humanity is born. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely beginning that this um, organization that uh, turned out to be the largest housing nonprofit ministry in the world, you know, started from crisis and from a couple just saying, you know, let's do what's important and let's just tell, let's just turn this over uh, to spirit. Let's just turn this over and say, God, what is it you want us to do? So it's a, it's a, it was a phenomenal story to tell, and that's, you know, that's the first chapter. <laughs> yes, in some, and you've said it very well. I found it so fascinating that, like many, he had set a goal to achieve financial wealth and abundance and successfully achieved that, but so humbly and so quickly learned that that was not what was important in life. And he learned that, um, like you said, in a crisis situation where his wife said, hey, look, we have nothing we've set out to have. I'm empty. You're never home. Our children don't know who you are. Let's change this. And together they came together and then not only built a foundation for their family, but then built one for thousands, millions of people around the world. <laughs> That's right, because, you know, Habitat uh, for Humanity has, is in 100 countries and have built homes under, the, under Fuller's realm. And, you know, of course, Millard Fuller is no longer with Habitat for Humanity. He was fired in 2005 uh, when the new board came in. Uh, when the board came in and said, "Look, we have <laughs> we have new ideas about Habitat," um, but he this organization literally was in a hundred and some countries and some three thousand affiliates, and so millions upon millions of volunteers. But a, but a million people have homes over their heads because of this uh, turning just turning things over to spirit and say, "Here I am, send us." What is it? you want us to do with your life. Wow. So what was the greatest life lesson for you writing this story, capturing the Fullers' lives over such a long time span? Well, you know, I've I've known the Fullers for decades, and so I've always known that they have um, very, they've stayed true to this cause. They have never, ever once doubted the journey they were on, uh, they've never, I mean, they just simply trust implicitly. And while I've always known that about them, and so the, there's, there's no surprises in the story for me, but what is remarkable, and in, you know, anything, anytime you make a movie or write a book or do something up close, you get a chance to relive the impact of it. And so for me, it was once again that incredible sense that. They've never strayed from the journey. And the, one of the reasons why that's remarkable is, first of all, you know, God asks us to do that. But then secondly, most of us live in this world and we just can't. We do get sidetracked. We get sidetracked by love, good, bad, or indifferent. We get sidetracked by exciting work, good, bad, or indifferent. We get sidetracked by losing faith uh, when when things are disappointing or when we've had, you know, a crisis in our lives. So we, it, we are just human. And so in living this earthly journey, we get sidetracked a lot. And the Fullers did not 
They never, ever got sidetracked once they rededicated their lives, once they gave their wealth away and said, we're going to build houses for those in need of, of a home. You know, we're going to build poverty. For those in poverty, we are going to put a roof over their heads. They never strayed from believing that God would provide for that moment. And, you know, Millard Fuller always is fond of saying that uh, when people say, what do you mean you're going to go down on the Gulf uh, Coast and build, you know, 50 homes? Like, you don't, we don't have the money to do that. How will we do that? And Millard is fond of saying, let's show up and God will provide. And for most people, they're like, that's a little bit crazy. You know, that's a little <laughs> bit risky. Uh, and for Millard, he never doubts that God will join him on, uh, you know, on the, on, the, on the job site. He never doubts it, ever. And, you know, the outcome is that whole law of attraction, the outcome is he always is joined. I mean, the houses always get built. People always come through and say, you know, let us help you. Uh, here, let us, well, let us help you financially. You know, we'll support this financially. We'll support this work-wise. We'll show up. We'll help build. You know, so the volunteers come. And, you know, it is that for me in writing this book, it was once again realizing that for some 50 years of their lives, they have lived this reality. They have never doubted. They've never swayed from their journey. And so that is such a pure thing to say because most of us just aren't capable of pulling that off. It's a perseverance that distinguishes him so much to get acknowledgement acknowledgement from the President of the United States. Um, He was acknowledged in 1996. And it's just really phenomenal what his efforts have done. It's just quite a leader. He has established himself in philanthropy in a way the world just hasn't seen before. And again, a figure that we all can honor and look up to, to look at how to approach crises and to look to turn to God and to spirit and have complete faith and trust that something larger than you loves you and will provide for you when you believe in that source. That is definitely the the case for this, for the fullers. Uh, The quote that you're referring to is President Bill Clinton's Clinton's quote, who when, uh, when, you know, Millard has just tons of awards and achievements and things like that. One of them is the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian award that you can get. But upon the bestowal of that, President Clinton had said, uh, you know, that perhaps no one uh, in history has ever um, uh, created uh, so much good for mankind in, in housing ever. And Millard is an icon. I mean, he is, he's been called again and again one of the most important figures in the 20th century, and for sure that's true. In this book, in addition to laying the foundation for how Habitat began, um, I devote a, just a number of chapters to the, the how from the moment Habitat was born to its uh, you know, to almost 30 years later. And that is such a remarkable journey, too, because in the beginning, think about it. If you were just going to start a movement in Habitat for Humanity more than anything else, it's not an organization, although it is now. More than anything else, it's a movement. Millard wanted people to learn how uh, to, within their own communities, take care of one another and to really truly treat 
uh, our neighbors as our brothers and sisters. And he said that, you know, in this world, nothing, we, we can build, you know, everyone a home. We can, everyone can have food on their table. Everyone can be loved by all of us. It's just a matter of if we are willing to do that. Because the resources, the Earth's resources really do allow it. It's just a matter of, is will we make that, you know, a part of our spirits to be that generous to one another? And so, in this book, in tracing like the first house that was built all the way up to when a million people had a roof over their head, that's 30 years. And in that 30 years, um, think about the numbers of, of funds that had to be raised, the numbers of volunteers where leadership had to be marshaled so that those volunteers could come together. And in 100-plus countries, I mean, just think about the magnitude of that. So Millard and Linda Fuller founders of Habitat for Humanity, created the largest nonprofit housing ministry in the world. And so the, there are a number of chapters in this book devoted to how did they do that? You know, what what was that journey? What uh, what did it feel like and what was it and where did they go and and how did it all enact out? So that was a part of it. And then, of course, they were fired in 2005 because um, the board, a new board, wanted so much to change the underpinnings of that philosophy. They didn't want it to be a Christian housing ministry. They wanted it to to simply be a conglomerate. And at that point in 2005, Habitat for Humanity was worth $1.8 billion. That's a brand name as big or if not larger than Starbucks or, or uh, Boy Scouts. And so the new board said, look, we don't have to be a housing ministry any longer. Um, these um, 1,800 now affiliates, um, you know, let's, let's manage them differently. Let's char- start charging interest to the poor. And when Millard created Founder uh, Habitat for Humanity, when he founded it, he based it on the biblical principle that it's not right to charge interest to the poor. And so Habitat wanted, the, the new board in 2005 wanted all of that. They just wanted changes. And Miller and he and the board clashed, uh, just really clashed. And, and the result was that Miller was gone. Organizations, you know, boards fire um, uh, founders and leaders and, and CEOs all the time. And so Miller so Millard was fired. And what he did was he turned around and started the Fuller Center for Housing. I mean, he said I, he had a pity party for three hours, and he was up and going again. Yeah. So he is now building with the Fuller Center for Housing and, and really doing significant work on the Gulf Coast, but also you know abroad and so on. Yes, I did see that the Fuller Center for Housing is flourishing nicely. So that was founded in spring of 2005. So he was fired in probably early, you know, late winter of 05. And by spring of 05, he was up and going with the Fuller Center for Housing. He established that out of southwest Georgia. And this this new mission states as, the Fuller Center for Housing, faith-driven and Christ-centered, promotes collaborative and innovative partnerships with individuals and organizations in an unrelenting quest to provide adequate shelter for all people in need worldwide. He's founded this organization along with Habitat for Humanity with the simple goals of eliminating poverty housing. So this is his new quest, his new baby <laughs> he's nurturing. Well, it's, it's, um, some of it, of course, is the same. Uh, the Habitat for Humanity, as it exists now, they are disenfranchising some of their affiliates. So if a franchise isn't acting like they want them to, 
uh, they're just saying, you know, go away. And that's very different from when Millard had the organization because Millard believed that it that all the franchise that all of the affiliates needed to be grassroots driven. In other words, the homes that you are building in your community, whether it's Sedona, whether it's Des Moines, Iowa, whether it's San Francisco, whether it's in India, whether it's somewhere else in the world, that the homes in that community ought to be done by the people standing shoulder to shoulder within the community. And so if you're welcoming a new family into a home, um, if they need, edu- if, they, if their children need to have educational needs, if they have medical needs, if they have other needs, it's the community that needs to come to their fore and help them, help them sift in and and you know get a hand up, you know uh, get a leg up, uh, so that they can actually begin to function again. And so Millard said, if an if a, an affiliate was struggling, rather than to disenfranchise it, rather than to let it go, that was a sign that you needed to wrap your arms around it and help that community learn and restore its confidence that they could help one another. And so the so there is a, a bit of a difference now between Habitat and the Forest Center for Housing in that um, the Forest Center for Housing is back to building houses without interest for the poor and Habitat now is charging uh, interest to the uh, to the poor. And that's, you know, just, of course, um, just greatly grieves the fullers. Um, but they're also working again as well with even the poorest of the poor when they said to God, um, okay, you know, we're, we're out. We're, we're, we're out on our own now. But here I am, send us. You know, here we are, send us. What is it you would have us to do? What they heard Spirit come back and say was, well, you're not done. You know, there are... You've built a million homes, but there are six billion people in the world in poverty. Get going. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're in great health. Get going. Get going. And they did. And so they they turned right around and and, began, and just dug in again. So they're working uh, with some of the disenfranchised affiliates for Habitat, and then they are also working with the poorest of the poor. And, of course, right after they got everything founded and together, Hurricane Katrina hit, and how do you, you know? Here, here is a Mother Nature's fit comes along and takes families and wipes them out of a home, jobs, careers, uh, everything. Uh, you know, Mother Nature took everything, and so really, Mill, there was Millard right there saying, "Okay, I've been asked to work with those who are very, very destitute." Well, you can't get much more destitute than that when Mother Nature just wipes out everything you own. And so he is busy. They are busy building um, the the Gulf Coast, and uh, and uh, you know, and and in some 15 countries. What's interesting right now for the Fuller Center for Housing, you know, you talk about Spirit blessing um, you and and guarding you and guiding you uh, and to and to let you know when you're on the right path. The Fuller Center for Housing is not yet two years old, and it's as large as Habitat was in its eighth year. And it is the fastest growing nonprofit in the United States. So it's really got lots of blessings upon it. And I'll let our audience know that they can go ahead and check out the Fuller Center on the web at www.fullercenter.org. And they have some great information on their websites where you can purchase Betty's book, The House That Love Built, from that website directly or also on Amazon.com or, of course, at your local 
bookshop. And, you know, it's really important that people know about the shift with the Fuller's from Habitat for Humanity to the Fuller Center for Housing. Because, if, for example, today I had a client, I was doing intuitive readings in Laguna Hills, California, had a client come in and she says, oh, next week I'm, I'm taking a week off work. She's a teacher at a local high school and she's going to dedicate herself to help building a house with Habitat. And I said, oh, I'm so excited. Congratulations. That's, you know, really exciting. And I think you'll have a great time really contributing to the community in a new way. However, did you know that, you know, the Fullers now have a, a ministry they're working on? And, you know, she didn't, wasn't even aware of the shift. Well, you know, of course, yes, of course, many aren't. And sometimes it's not always so important either. I mean, for those who want to help uh, build, they should just, you know, we're, they should just get in and, and help build um, because people need. I mean, Habitat is still building homes for those in need. So, Sure, sure. I think in terms of donation and supporting philanthropy and organizations, and, you know, the reason we donate to organizations is because we, we believe in what their mission is. We want to support their purity and their focus in going into society and really transforming, you know, something that isn't in the light at that time. And so offering these houses is meaningful in any direction with all resources. But coming from a donor perspective or just a community member who wants to support an organization, I think that it is important that this book was presented. And I think it is important for people to understand that supporting the Fuller Center for Housing at this time may be more beneficial if they are looking to support a housing ministry. I do think it's more pure, I think, as you were saying, and I do think that it's um, it's so soul-centered. It's so pure in its uh, attempts. You know, um, one of the things that we saw uh, in Katrina, um, you know, here comes this incredible Mother Nature's disaster, and and people instantly got out their wallets and sent money to to those organizations that they felt would respond, such as um, Habitat for Humanity, such as Red Cross. And uh, Habitat for Humanity said they didn't have to uh, use that money to build, that it was unsolicited funds, and they banked it and said we're going to we'll use the interest to do things. And in the old uh, Habitat and under Millard's um, auspices, if a dollar came in that afternoon, it was gone. Millard said that you know, I mean, there was a, every every dollar that came in had a nail's name on it. Uh, you know, Millard said that that the goal of his organization should be that they were broke all the time, because when somebody gives money, they don't mean for you to put it in the bank. They mean for you to help someone with it. And I think that what I've seen over the years, and I believe this is why the Fullers and the Fuller Center for Housing is flourishing, uh, is because they are so um, such good stewards of money. If you give $50 or $25 or a million dollars, they truly believe that you gave that money for others to be helped and that it's not bankable money, it's to be used. And so it's an interesting idea, isn't it, that your organization should be broke all of the time because that means that when the money's come in, you're putting it to work. It's coming so from it's, a, it's a very pure idea. Yes, a, a stance of pure faith. And really, it's always true that when you're closer to the source of an idea or a mission, the purity is much more evident. And in this case, 
you know, at being broke all the time allows him to be helping others all the time, which is uh, very evident that's his passion. Yes, I mean, for sure. I mean, the whole idea of um, being in, I mean, if you're in the Fuller's presence, one of the first things you feel is the excitement uh, that they have for their work and and the belief they have in what they're doing and this true devotion to loving humanity. I mean, it comes through so clear. And and the joy that results from it is really a sight to 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 observe. And so sharing this story was, uh, you know, just a particularly exciting to do. Uh, it's going to be wonderful for those who read it to just see. I think they'll come away with a wonderful, a wonderful sense of um, respect for humanity, for Habitat for Humanity, because it was born out of such crisis and toward love it was birthed in such love and run with such love um, for so many years and I think that that you know is probably why it is such a beloved organization and you know as Millard says hopefully the current leadership will you know see the light and kind of reform and come back into believing that uh, Habitat doesn't have to be a conglomerate it can be a ministry um, you know, because it was set out um, to be that. Yes, and I really, I really, I believe and I have faith that there will be much more impact on the housing ministry having Habitat for Humanity and the Fuller Center for Housing and hopefully other individuals feel inspired to continue joining this idea of offering homes for other people who are more impoverished or less fortunate than they are. It's, it's a very powerful concept. And as we all know, housing is a basic need. So he went to the heart of humanity and found a need and has filled it and done so quite successfully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, two things on that. One is, you know, there, the good news is so many, many, many organizations now have gotten into the business of housing uh, those in need, which is, you know, there just never can be enough. We've got six billion people in the world who need. And I remember, you know, so many times when I get interviewed, uh, people will say, well, you know, is the Fuller Center for Housing competing with Habitat? And, of course, they're not. I mean, if there's a shortage of need, then they would be. But if you build houses and everyone listening helps build houses and I build houses and everyone in my city builds houses, we're not competing. You know, the the yeah. need is so great, but wouldn't it be nice if there came a time where we really were competing because we were competing, you know, to, to, to get that person who really, truly needed a house. Um, and the other thing, too, I think, with this book is, um, and by the way, they can uh, take a look at the this book on my web as well, which is www.bettyyoungs.com. I believe that um, if, uh, the people will come away, reader will come away with a renewed sense that they too can make a difference because sometimes you really think that you can't make a difference in the world that you know you're just where you are and and I think that this book just shows that that making a difference comes from uh, a spot within our you know deep within our hearts a desire to just truly make a difference and that we really can we can make a big difference in the lives of others just by helping them just by helping something. You know, Millard has um, just a wonderful saying called the theology of the hammer. And he says, you know, what's nice, what he's, what he's enjoyed about Habitat over the years is that people who are tall and short and fat and thin and, and black and white and Catholics and, 
you know, Mormons and those who believe and those who don't believe, those who worship in different ways, can all come together and and still pick up a hammer and when you you know help somebody put a roof over their head that's love in action and he says that you know that's what theology of the hammer is i can tell you i love you all until i'm blue in the face but until my actions demonstrate it then the words are empty and so i believe that people can come away with this from this book realizing that they really can make a difference and they and they and they must I validate that. As I read the book, which was just profound for me, it validated the inner knowing that I have, that I'm here to serve humanity, and I have a calling and a purpose to do so. And it it really gave me permission to follow my heart and to pursue what I desire and to really believe that there will be support and there will be, you know, all the variables will come into play as needed. Like he says, it's great to be, in a sense, to be broke because then he's doing his job. And so it's like just keeping that attitude that you'll have what you need as you go to pursue your mission and to follow that service path, whatever that may be, is really, really profound. And I think the most, um, you know, valuable thing for me, Betty, as I read the the story was I kept referring to the timeline. (laughs) There's a great timeline that's imprinted on the, front and the back of the book and also in an appendix form and that just kind of helped me stay in connection with their their story emotionally and what they were going through on a personal level and then what they were going through on a professional level and you know just seeing how they manage that so gracefully and how they executed such a labor of love through the entire process was just magnificent. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And so I think anybody who has a dream or um, a story or a passion inside of them, which I believe all of us do, picking up this book and seeing how it really plays out on the earthly plane with real people in real situations, it's almost like I can't go wrong trying. I've got to do this because see, it works. Even when something goes wrong, three things go right. And then when three things go right, well, hey, it opens up two more doorways. And and it's just sh- seeing that from an application perspective versus the theory perspective, I'd say seeing it from a verb perspective in action versus a noun, <laughs> hearing about it, it's just so inspiring. And it, w- it really, for me, just brought out a deep courage to really launch who I am. And so I really hope that readers will pick it up and really embrace that message for themselves as, as they'd like to receive that. Well, and I think they will. I think that, you you know, you can't read about these two people's lives, you know, and one and, and one come away from it with this admiration for the journey. I mean, the numbers of steps they took in their lives, you know, they've taken this, um, this ability, you know, this partnership housing. Uh, in partnership, I can build you a house. Come stand shoulder to shoulder with me and others, and we will you know, build you a house, uh, and as you were saying, a home is just the most basic in all of the world, and I'm going to sidetrack a little bit to finish that thought, and that is that, you know, I've watched in my lifetime, um, I've watched us, you know, get initiatives to increase um, teacher uh, competencies. Uh, well, why don't we build new schools? Let's fix up our schools. Let's get new textbooks. I've watched so many initiatives come about for the simple sake of improving student achievement. And sometimes we're just hard-pressed to say that all of these things, which we must do, 
but sometimes we're hard-pressed to say which one had the most significant impact on improving a child's willingness to learn and desire to learn and then the actual goal-setting and, and having carried out you know, learning uh, uh, to graduate and to go on and to further the, their education and then to come back and give it to society, to come back and share that. And the truth is that for these 6 billion people without homes, you know, when the, if, if you take somebody and, you, and you're sitting them in class and they go home and there is no place for them to sit and study, there is no home to go to, they don't have a place, you know, it doesn't matter how many schools you improve, how many textbooks you buy, how much you teach or training you do. You, you haven't um, given that little person, that person, a chance to actually do any uh, follow-through and achieving. But you put them in a house where they can come home, where they have a place, you know, then achievement begins to happen. And we, you probably read in this book, all of those stories where those kids didn't have a home and finally they did. And it changed their lives. I mean, the Bo and Emma Johnson, the first people that Millard and Linda built a home for, he was so uneducated, he couldn't even write his name. And so when they built him a, uh, built them a home, and then gave them a mortgage, a $20,000 mortgage, um, he signed an X uh, on the paper because he didn't know how to sign his name. And, you know, those children, their children, um, not only graduated from college but came back to be those you know, such incredible professionals. One is a psychologist. One daughter is a medical doctor. One daughter is um, an attorney. Talk about, you know, <laughs> turning your life around and and here was his family without a home and then with a home and their children come forth spring forth and achieve and become you know contributors to society so a home is the most basic thing in the world i mean imagine for many people in california who have lost their homes to fire you know where do they come home how does life happen for them so home is the most basic thing so it, so you know coming back and bringing it back to your other comment um, people will come away with after reading this book, one, with the notion of, oh, my goodness, one of the most basic things we can give someone is a place to, at, at the end of the day, come home and shut a door and rest and restore themselves physically, rest and restore themselves emotionally, rest and restore themselves spiritually, and then prepare to go into the world tomorrow. It, a home is the most basic thing. And so the Fullers took on this, journey they said in our lifetimes what instead of just simply making money and and being very rich and then and then you know being consumers we're going to be contributors and we're going to help others just at least have a simple decent place to live so for one just that story alone is such a marvelous idea because it gives us a whole new way to think about exactly how much abundance do we really need you know exactly how much do we need to truly be happy in this journey we're taking uh, earthbound and then i believe also people will come away with this book and say as you were getting at and that is wow even when i'm discouraged even when i'm not quite sure how things are going to turn out for me um, even when I'm, if I at least walk in faith and stay true to faith that that all will, you know, work out. At least with this book, you see that the Fullers have done that, and that it all came to pass. 
that they simply walked in faith that they would be taken care of, and they were. And for many, for all of those years, and the abundance, I mean, the joy, the health they have, and the emotional health and happiness they have, and they're loved and revered around the world. I mean, they get a standing ovation when they walk in the room. People so honor, you know, the journey they've taken. So I believe that the book, you know, it's classified as an inspirational biography, and I believe it's just heartwarming to people to read um, the the willingness, and as you so aptly use the word courage, that they that they the reader will see and feel the courage that the Fullers had in taking this journey and truly believing that spirit would provide for them. You know, as you say, it's an inspirational book, and I I, I think that it's not only inspirational for adults, but I find that it's inspirational for children. Um, you know, just including those stories of children. The, the um, exposing the children to the other children's stories of not having a home and then getting getting a home, and then you know introducing the idea to children that they can then contribute to community and serve and have a role and begin to explore who they are and what they want to be when they grow up. Maybe they want to develop a, a nonprofit ministry that rings true for their heart. And you know what I find working with a lot of very sensitive children, young children, and a lot of what we call, quote-unquote, indigos, which is just a label. But it really describes the spiritual shift and evolution that we're experiencing as um, a human species. And I think that this book is also extremely relevant to teachers, to educators, to people who work with children, with teenagers, with individuals who are suffering from low self-esteem, who have forgotten that without their presence, without their divine gift, without who they are, we as a human species will not be complete, reminding them that they have a path of service and they have a function here. And if it's as small as creating a a local organization, that's great. If it's something they can do on their elementary school or junior high school campus, phenomenal. Just really reminding them that these stories are the seeds of who they are. Right. And I think... um you know, what it does is it, it makes you understand the importance of never, um, never not finding your calling. And, you know, we're all called. And in this lifetime, we're meant to discover that calling. And there is no such thing as a mediocre soul. We are all called. We're all called to contribute, and we're all called to contribute to one another. We're certainly called to contribute to our own lives, you know, to find ourselves, to not wonder who we are and to wander around aimlessly. And we're not called to simply be consumers. We're also called to be contributors. But the whole idea of calling, you know, to turn like the Fullers did, to just open their palms and and heavenward, turn their eyes heavenward and say, here I am, send me. What is it that you would have me do? Like, what am I to do? And then to quietly listen for that answer, and we, and those you know those promptings are there. We're, none of us um, you know get uh, dismissed or missed or you know uh, uh, left out. We all get to find that calling. We all have to um, not have to. We all should be finding that calling. And that's what this journey is about, to listen to those promptings of our calling and then to, to walk in that light. We're, so many of us are so misguided in what we need to be happy and what we need to be healthy and what we need to feel achieved and what we need to feel connected to one another. 
And again, I think that this book, The House That Love Built, I think it I think the story is so remarkable because it shows us that it kind of shows us the outcome, you know, when you read something that's 40 years of a journey and and you know, nearly 50 years of a journey and you see it enacted again and again and again, it gives you the courage to realize that it happens all the time and to each one of us if we but, you know, listen and hear it. Yes, readily embrace the information or the guidance from spirit. That is also the the key part. <laughs> so today, tonight, this evening, we're talking with Betty, and she is a, accessible on the web at www.bettyyoungs.com. The book, The House That Love Built, it can be purchased at www.amazon.com or at www.fullercenter.com. Org. Congratulations, Betty, that you have sold over 5 million books worldwide. What an well, awesome, awesome okay. accomplishment. Talk about finding your calling. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, you know, uh, what else is exciting is the house that Love Built has been uh, optioned for a movie. So we have a producer, <gasps> director, and screenwriter, and they're working. So How exciting. Uh, that was one of my questions. What about a possible movie contract for the book? And here oh, it is. it's already it's, it's underway. <laughs> so we're very happy with it. Spirit. Yes, spirit does magnify goodness, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, exactly. And you know, uh, you know, this this book will find a way. It will find its own way, just because uh, the story is one that we that, that can touch our hearts and teach our hearts and open our hearts and get us to um, begin to love our own hearts and to you know to come close to ourselves and trust just trust our journey and to trust that uh, it's okay to be courageous. I think that, you know, earlier in the program when you opened up this program, you know, you asked what was the most remarkable thing about it, and it was just the whole idea of courage, just the courage to really take this journey that we're walking seriously and lovingly, which is seriously, but to um, to open ourselves to this journey and to not just uh, sleepwalk in the yeah, journey. Be present. Exactly. Yes, I see, I see. And and it's great. So you have done such an amazing job on your journey, Betty, being present. How do you, what are you doing today? I know that you are a writing coach and mentor, which is so exciting. And I know you you do some conferences, which is another really exciting thing for you. But what have you done or what would you do today to offer to other people to help them really find their path, to find their mission, to be able to create a, a concept like the house that love built for, for the Fullers? What would I, you recommend for our audience? Yeah, I think there's nothing more important than simply digging in when when where you are, you know, to get involved. I think that sometimes we stumble upon our our calling, and but we're not going to find it. I think sitting um, next to the water and and just listening to the waves. I think we find it when we're active, because we have to find though that which just takes our breath away in terms of makes us so excited. You know, it's to find that passion. It's to find. Um, it's to really catch ourselves when we see ourselves just working away, working away, working away, and time, the time clock just loses meaning. You just you look up and you're like, oh, my goodness, I've been at this for so long and I've been so involved in it and I'm totally enamored with it. You know, it's those things that just call our attention. And so I, you, you rarely find those things when you're inactive. Sometimes it takes a while. You know, when the Fullers left, 
recreated their marriage and put their marriage back together. They really kind of wandered for about a year and a half trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? How will we know? And, And sure enough, they were doing it all along. So, you know, that whole idea that the staff is in your hand, you know, is the concept, the biblical concept that, you probably are already doing what you're supposed to do, and especially that's true if you just really are excited about what you're doing. So go deeper into that area. But, you know, to get, to get out and to travel and to be with people and to always be curious, always be talking, always be interacting with others because sometimes other people lead us to, you know, the right soulmate for us or the right career or job for us or the right sort of environment for us. And to always be listening. You know, I think that if you travel around, for example, you find places that you that your heart says, oh, my goodness, I could live here. You know, oh, my goodness, I, this place feels familiar to me. Or, oh, my goodness, I, there's nothing about where I, about this town or this city that feels right for me. You know, to listen to those promptings and to have the courage to move through the world until those promptings, you know, until you're you're called and 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 you deepen into a community or deepen into work. So I think that we can we need to be introspective, but we also need to be busy. We need to be active so that we can begin to actively find what we're doing. To do. Keeping ourselves as a verb versus as a noun. <laughs> I mean, my career started. I was I started my career as a teacher. Um, and taught for a number of years and then went from teaching junior high and high school into teaching college and all the while truly loved that. And then, you know, the calling of, okay, I want to do something different. And then I found myself speaking. And so for 15 years, you know, just travel the world as a speaker. And then that, that need to teach and to connect and to share, sure enough, even without any sort of willingness on my part, um, it turned into writing. So for me, writing is just really easy and it's really natural and it's just another way of sharing. Um, and it, you know, it just comes from taking an idea. I mean, for me, the desire is taking an idea and just turning it over and looking at it five different ways. I did it with the Fuller's Lives. I looked at their lives from so many angles in this book. I want the reader to see that, oh, my gosh, from crisis, this magnificent organization was born. And, oh, my gosh, from this magnificent organization, people in need, you know, were helped. And from those people in need that were helped, the volunteers who helped build them a home, their lives were as transformed as the people who received a key on top of a Bible to their new home. So it's turning an idea over and over and again. You know, those are the things that excite me, that I have that need to examine things from many sides and to to turn it over. So, again, just to be active so that we can um, find ourselves um, and then when we discover those things that bring our hearts great pleasure, to to then, you know, get into that, go into that area. Very, very wise advice. So what's your next project coming well, I have lots of television uh, and radio to do on this book uh, for the next months. Um, it'll just be following this book and supporting the activity around it. We have a movie, uh, so we've got a producer, director, screenwriter. They're busy. Um, I've got a, you know lots of 
things to do to support them um, uh, in in their journey on this. So yeah. this this book so this will follow this book a little while. We've got three or four other projects going on after that. Wonderful, wonderful. So you'll be nice and busy and creating so we can enjoy your wonderful products and, and all exactly. the outcomes. Great, great. Well, that's wonderful. Again, I want to make sure that everyone can find you on the web. It's www.bettyyoungs.com. Please, please pick up a book, The House That Loves Built by Betty Youngs. Um, the subtitle is The Story of Millard and Linda Fuller, Founders of Habitat for Humanity and the Fuller Center for Housing. This book will transform your life. Warning. It's a promise. It's it's phenomenal. And I highly recommend that people not only pick up this book for themselves, but that they offer it to others. It's one of those gifts that you can give that will keep giving. I think um, when I picked it up and after I put it down, I the immediate thought I got was a gift of love can have a ripple effect. And this book is evidence of that. And so if we all choose to really put out a gift of love in the world, including sharing this, this book with others, just imagine the ripple effects that can, that can occur beyond the housing ministry, and we can just contribute to that, that positive energy and that positive flow of, of really offering to others, whether it be in the form of love or in the keys to a new home, as, as the nonprofit organization really enjoys creating for others. So Betty... This has been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful evening. I thank you so much for coming on. It was an honor, a pleasure to have you. I want all of our listeners to know that if you go to Amazon.com, there are over 30 reviews about the house that love built. They're phenomenal. Read them all. Last night I did that for a few hours. And people's lives are being changed, and they're just saying such powerful, powerful statements of love and light and support and just gratitude for what you've created and produced based on the Fuller's efforts the last 45 years. And so I recommend checking out Amazon.com. Also on Betty's website, you can find several reviews. I think I I came up on over 30 there as well. And um, lastly, on the fullercenter.org website, there was a news article under the news section of telling the Fuller story that was backdated in September. And I thought that was a fun article. It just showed some of the ideas from the Fuller's perspective as well, so it added to what we've discussed here. And again, the Fuller Center website is www.fullercenter.org. I want to make sure that everybody can get in touch and offer their support and gratitude to the Fullers and their new organization. And Betty, as this evolves, we'll keep in touch with you. We'd love to have you on again as you continue to flourish and create your new wonderful ingenious contributions to humanity. And and we will we will love to have you on again when the movie's out. We'd love to hear about how that goes. And are you going to be in an active role, or are you going to be an observer? Oh yeah, just really an observer. Um, you know, just um, just basically an advisor. Wonderful, wonderful. That's a great place to be in in that process. It will be very interesting. Many challenges will come, and much reward to be able to share this not only in the form of print, but in a movie that can go international and and more people can be touched in their hearts from this story. So thank you again for coming on this evening. And I'm Dulcinea. I'm a metaphysician in Southern California, work in Laguna Hills and San Diego, California, an author, a spiritual coach. And I thank you again for joining us tonight on Evolution Revolution. We will not be on air next Thursday. It is Thanksgiving, season of gratitude. I wish you all the best holiday. 
please remain in gratitude. Enjoy your holiday with loved ones and go in love and light. See you back in two weeks. Angel blessings. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. No matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio.